Hi there, and welcome to the first ever digital version of TPI Talks. My name is Stu Hume, I'm the editor of TPI Magazine. Now, for those that don't know, TPI Talks is the banner we've been using for a number of years now. Anytime we've done a panel discussion at a trade show or even our own events like Production Futures, we've always used TPI Talks as the brand to bring experts from the industry onto a stage to talk about a subject that affects all of us. Um, but now that we find ourselves in these makeshift home offices in this time of isolation, we thought we'd try and work on this new project, which was bring TPI Talks into the digital realm, be that through videos or by podcasts. But as most people, we just never have time to kind of explore these projects. But now seems like the prime time to just give it a go. So as we kind of expand TPI Talks into the digital realm, we really do appreciate your feedback. So for our inaugural episode, we're turning our attention to the world of audio, specifically the term immersive audio. Now, in collaboration with D&B Audio Technic, they came to us with a question saying, how is immersive audio affecting the expectations or how might it affect the expectations of audience members in the future? And to talk about this, we um, caught up with uh, Steve Jones, who is uh, <laughs> DMB's um, application, um, education application support team leader. Yes, I had to read it because, Steve, you have a very long job title. And during this conversation, we kind of went through everything that DMB has to offer in terms of the immersive environment, talking about soundscape and of some of the various projects they've been involved with, specifically the Bjork tour, and how, you know, the term immersive and the kind of development of technology through various parts of the, you know, the, the world of live touring, we might see some changes. And again, more importantly, what are the crowds going to expect or what should they expect from the tours of tomorrow? So yeah, take it away, Steve. Well, hi, Steve. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, just for the people at home, could you just outline who you are and, uh, you know, your history within DMV? Uh, I am the, my role at DMB is education and application support team leader, a very long title, but uh, in essence for the UK and Ireland, I run the team that deliver everything in terms of all of our education and all of the technical needs of, of uh, those two markets. And I've been doing that now for 12 years at DMB Great Britain. Uh, before that, having run a uh, small regional rental company that was part of one of the DMB sales partners. And then before that, a failed drummer, like most people in our industry. Fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, um, what we're speaking to you about today is immersive audio. And before we go into, you know, some of the kind of modern, you know, gigs that have happened recently, I just want to kind of get your opinion on immersive audio and when you first came across it as a concept and what were your first initial thoughts in terms of the DMB world? Yeah, I think... Uh... The word immersive is the buzz line at the moment and how people latch onto the word immersive and what it means to them, I think is very different things. I think if, if I'm to be honest, uh, immersive audio has been around for a very long time in one guise or another. Um, we've got people like Timax, for instance, who have done a, an incredible job over many years of, of delivering tools that allow us to do immersive audio. Um, but then on a more simple basis, kind of premise than that the guys in the theater world um, are using level and time with sound systems and speaker positioning to create the illusion of of that sparrow voiced tv star that everybody thinks is filling the house with their voice right now when actually no it's the sound system doing it but but they're 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 paid to give that illusion and and so i would say to some extent 
um, particularly in theatre, people have been doing immersive audio for a very long time. It's just the technology is catching up that makes it quicker and more effective more recently. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, um, I've been to various shows that don't have the modern technology, if you like, of immersive audio, but I've felt truly immersed in the storyline. Like the sound system hasn't been a barrier between me and the story being told to me. Um, uh, we're just getting better and better and more technically adept at being able to improve this to a, a greater and greater level. Mm. Because it's funny you say that, talking about how it's been used in theatre for a long time, because in the live touring sector, it felt like, you know, the visual world has been a lot of influence from theatre in the last coming years. And now it seems that audio is finally kind of catching up, would you say? That's correct? Yeah, I, th I think in so many areas, um, sound in in every of our kind of large scale performance areas, so be it rock and roll, be it theatre, be it whatever, sound is, is hey, I'm biased, the most important part of the show in terms of communicating what is happening on the stage to a wider and wider audience. Um, but in so many areas, we've been the last people to be considered part of the creative team. Um, that's very much in the theatre world. You can see that with um, various international awards within the theatre world that actually for a short period of time got rid of the, the award for sound designers. But the lighting design, the video design, they all stayed, but sound design disappeared. So we, as a sound community, we've quite often been, um, dare I say, at the bottom of the pile in terms of how we considered a creative. Um, I think with the with immersive audio becoming mainstream, if you like, in audio uh, and becoming something that's uh, greater and greater in the midst of what's going on, it's inherently turning what has generally been considered a, an engineering department in some ways into something that's more being considered a creative element. Um, so, so we're getting more and more involved in the story, in our storytelling. Um, and I think in some ways I can see the parallels of what's happening in the rock and roll world is they're catching up with the theatre world and I can well see that there might be a sound designer in the rock and roll world soon. And, you know, as you've already kind of mentioned, it's you're seeing more and more of the term immersive being used within the live, you know, the live sphere. From your opinion, what kind of projects have been kind of standouts in the last couple of years that have utilised this technology and been brought into that creative process? I mean, for me, obviously, I work for DMB. So any stories I'm going to talk about, um, it's my bread and butter is always surrounded by DMB projects. Um, uh, the ones that I've got involved in, uh, there's shows like I've, I've helped uh, Gareth Owen, um, a lot of his theatre shows. Um, one I always like talking about in some ways is a show called Come From Away, because in, in immersive terms, everybody thinks immersive and you think things flying around your head and surround sound things going on but with with come from away there's no surround sound speakers it's all on on the front of the pros um but i'd say in that show more than a huge amount of other shows i've been absolutely immersed in the story because what the sound system did was take away any barrier between me and the performers on the stage and everything i saw on the stage i connected with um, visually orally emotionally I felt immersed in the story and what, what was going on in front of me. So I was immersed despite the fact there was no surround sound. So um, I'd like to think immersive doesn't necessarily mean you're sat in the middle of a load of stuff. It means, it means I'm sat in the story. I'm emotionally connected. I'm, um, there's no barrier in any way between me and, and the, the storytellers 
communication, if you like. Um, so Come From Away is a fantastic one, I think, for that. Um, obviously, um, the Bjork show that I did was um, a fairly large part of the past year, um, with a lot of people doing a lot of work for that, which started in a small lighthouse in Iceland, where Bjork and a couple of her audio engineers, uh, we set up a soundscape system for her there, and she started shaping and molding the, the immersive <laughs> full 360 kind of surround sound uh, storytelling that they were going to do and then that scaled up to a venue in New York, The Shed, uh, then it scaled up to a much bigger tent in Mexico and then it went through its UK arena tour. So to see um, a story like the Bjork show of Cornucopia kind of shape and mould through these different sizes and evolve as it got bigger and bigger was, that was great to be part of. And to see as well in that the different disciplines working together on the Bjork thing, so how uh, lighting and sound interacted with each other um, was was quite good. We became an integral part of each other's stories. If the sound happens over there, what should the light do over there? How do we grab people's attention in the audience and 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 uh, change their emotions through sound and light together on a directional level, if you like? Um, so yeah, it's, there's been some great projects the last few years. If you're going to enter a project like that and to use immersive correctly i suppose you just have i suppose the concept has to be there from the beginning would you say that like rather than just using the technology yeah i think again i think the audio world is inherently we've been sound engineers right and i think we we more and more it, if immersive audio becomes greater and greater in what we do and i say if because it, it's not guaranteed but personally and at dmb we truly believe it is part of the future of audio we've got a lot of obstacles to get over and things yet but um uh i could say if or i could say when audio uh, immersive audio does become the staple part of the diet if you like um we have to stop thinking like engineers and we have to start thinking like creatives and i remember being on a discussion panel where i was on a panel with various other people from uh, manufacturers and different things and a question came up from the crowd and somebody said oh are you allowed to do this and an answer came back from one of the guys on the panel and said no no you can't do that it will do this 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 and i kind of jumped in and went well from a creative point of view you can do whatever the hell you like if if it gives you the the effect on the audience that you intended even if it's scientifically wrong if it gives you the effect you want run with it even if it's wrong, hey, it, it, it's about being creative right now and having fun um, in the midst of that creativity. So I think you can go into it with an amount of idea of what you want to do, but also um, uh, a bit like, I guess, painting a picture. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to paint until you've finished it. Um, mm. uh, and the storytelling that can be involved with immersive audio and what happens if I put a sound here uh, versus putting it there versus a sound at the same time appearing in front of me and how does that make me feel how do i respond to what's going around me kind of the rule bags thrown out in my opinion with immersive audio compared to a standard kind of stereo um system if you like but you mentioned there like um, other barriers that you still kind of got to go across to, for this to be the future what other kind of barriers would you say there are um where we put speakers is inherently yeah. different um it's 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 quite interesting you know the whole rigging process the loading process again using the bjork tour as an example we had to do a lot of work to change the standard workflow of how you load a show in it was it was very different with different considerations of the rigging um how you design a system 
um, and how you think about how the sound covers the audience. Suddenly, you're not just thinking about speakers covering an audience, but um, there was a lot of times where I'd be in a venue and I'm making decisions about how where's the PA pointing today, and I'm not just looking at a speaker anymore. I'm kind of in my head imagining what happens when the object moves behind those speakers, and how does that then work out into the room? Um, so. From a rigging point of view, it's different where we play speakers, the infrastructure is different, how you think about sound system design is different, and then how you mix is different. It's absolutely different. I, I would very much liken the move from an, the move from mixing a stereo system to an immersive system. It's as big, if not bigger, than moving from an analog board to a digital board. Right, okay. um, it's a completely different workflow. Um, you don't work through groups so much anymore and then to a, a master bus. You're sending individual objects out to different um, objects within your sound system. So how do I do my group compression? How do we do all of the tricks in the background I used to do with my sound mix when all of that's been stripped away and the, the rules are different? So um, it's different. And when things are different, it takes people a while to get used to it. Yeah either the kind of the system engineers or the front of house engineers that are kind of now using these you know using soundscape in a live environment what's what's the response been like from them in terms of when they are kind of recreating the mix that they're used to doing with a you know traditional like lnr um I, i've said to a lot of people when their first soundscape show they'll probably struggle mm. because it's the show where you're learning to, to throw your usual tricks out right. because with the turnaround of shows nowadays, it's not often you get enough time to actually play around with a show, with an artist, with the tracks in front of you in, in the environment in which the gig's gonna happen. So, so your first show is quite often your finding your feet kind of thing. And, and when you would normally reach out for this knob here to do this effect, well, it doesn't work anymore. So we've got to find ways around it. And, and when you are used to making this change over here on my desk gives me this change of impression of the sound when that doesn't happen anymore but it's a different impression be it good or bad but just different the first show often is just quite it's used to getting used to that um, and I think once you've gone through that first show and that first learning experience when you get to your second show suddenly this isn't this isn't an unknown quantity anymore I, I learned the stuff of the first show I'm now changing my um, workflow of how i work based on an experience now and and the second show onwards starts to make more sense again i could talk about um uh, with gareth owen when we did starlight express in um, bochum in germany that was his first experience of soundscape on a major scale and and for all of us that was quite early on we were all learning <laughs> we were all trying to figure out what happens here uh, then when he moved to his second show well, he's created a lot of tools and workflows and processes so that he can then put that into action for a second show. So you have to go in with with um, with a real openness that it's not going to be the same. But if you embrace it and learn it and, and work with it, it's it, it's absolutely different and can be different for an absolute positive level, if you like. Mm. Wait, have you ever come across much resistance from engineers like when you're kind of presenting because it is a whole new way of working? Uh, yeah, a huge amounts of resistance because it's change, because it's different. Um, and you know, if you think, I guess, especially the touring rock and roll world, we there's some incredible companies that are doing an incredible job of loading into an arena in like two or three hours flat. 
you can only do that when you've took a process and refined it and refined it and refined it so that you are the way your flight casing works is slick the way your motors work is slick the way that all of your cabling goes up to your speakers and the rigging and everything else is slick as everything and everybody knows their job inside out so why risk that to do this weird soundscape thing where it changes everything it's a risk on that first show and who can afford to take that risk um so again um let me go back to gareth um with gareth owen we had lots of chats about soundscape and there was a first few shows we looked at and he was like so we do it on this one and i was going yeah it's not the one we, we don't have it's not the one to take that first plunge and then uh Bochum came along with starlight express and we just looked at it and went that is the perfect one where the risks are minimized where we can put it in learn and then move on from that and and i think picking the right first show is a good thing to do um, but but there's absolutely uh lots of barriers because people have to change it's sure. different in terms if you could explain to an engineer who's used to their normal way of working from their front of house console how does the soundscape workflow look for them a front of house guy um where you would normally have a pa that you know inside out and you know the tonality of that pa and your usual tricks to make that sound how you want it to sound well now um sound comes in from the stage to your desk you have one fader coming in and um, instead of that fader, then that channel feeding, let's say it's a kick drum, instead of that then feeding your drums subgroup and then feeding your main left and right, effectively, you've got your one channel with your kick drum and then it's took straight back out into the system. And then I decide where I place on the stage that kick drum for the audience to hear it from that place. So all of this subgroup stuff has potentially been took away. Now there's things we can still do with VCAs and various things to still have uh, a large amount of grouping of channels but inherently the the workflow is not as it used to be of kind of going from multiple channels down to a small amount of subgroups down to a left and right that go out to the pa it's now every individual channel potentially goes back out and we place it on the stage that inherently creates issues because i think a lot of now i'm not a mix engineer i class myself more as a system designer so you'd need a good front of house engineer to confirm what i'm saying whether it's right and wrong um, but I think the job of a lot of mix engineers with stereo has been the fact that um, because we've took away from the audience the ability to use two ears to binaurally unmask all the different sounds and to make sense of them on their own, they all get mixed down like a single cable to a single speaker on like a one-dimensional level. The mix engineer's job has then been to carve those sounds apart to allow the different instruments to make sense in relation to each other. But that carving of the sound apart has quite often led to sounds not sounding like they should on their own. But as a mix together, they work. When you go down the object-based side, suddenly I hear the kick drum there, I hear the guitar there, I hear the vocal there. And as a human listener with ears on the sides of our heads, I can now zone in to each location. And as a listener, I can make sense of what's going on. The engineer doesn't need to carve these apart so that they sit right together. I can just naturally now kind of zone into each instrument and the, the separation in the mix is made for me. Um, so the mix engineer's job now becomes about, I would say, not carving things apart in an unnatural way to make it sit together. It becomes about trying to make the voice sound like the voice should sound. How is, you know, all the immersive shows that we're now starting to see, how is that going to you know, change the what audience are expecting from a live performance now. 
but it's interesting. The I would still say that a good show, the audience shouldn't notice the sound. More than ever, if an audience notices, from a DMB's perspective, if an audience notices speakers in the soundscape system, I feel like I've not done my job properly. I'm trying to make the speakers disappear. I don't want them to notice the sound system. I want them to connect to a performance. Um, so, uh, but that hasn't changed because I'd still say pre-immersive audio, we didn't want this, the audience to notice speakers. We wanted them to connect to a show. Um, so I'd like to think the audience, we did a knit and sawney at the Albert Hall with Soundscape. What was interesting at that was how the audience talked about the show from an audio perspective. It, it wasn't talking about um, the kick drum sounded great, the vocals sounded clear. It was, wow, I was emotionally moved by how those vocals were singing at that moment. Ah, oh, just so got sucked into how that guitar player was doing this. And, and so people talk from a much more emotional connection to the music as opposed to this engineering, the kick drum sounded good, the guitar sounded amazing. Oh no, I was moved by this singer. I was moved by this harp player doing this thing. And I think that's the beauty of audiences should expect to be emotionally moved more, would be my view, and notice speakers less. I remember we did um, uh, the WOMAD festival last year. Uh, there was a, a DMB tent with soundscape on it. And we did a little teaching session where uh, one of my colleagues, John, explained soundscape to just the general public at a festival. And some of the guys that were in that came back to John at a later time that day and said, you're right, I went to hear this stage over here and all the sound just came from the speaker at the side. And it was like this new revelation to the audience that what they were hearing didn't line up with what they were seeing. Um, so I think without a doubt, we'll, we'll educate audiences better and they should be more emotionally attached to what's going on. And they, they, the storytelling element should, should be felt and heard and experienced by our audiences much, much more, I would have thought, with immersive audio. And is there a kind of, is there a show that maybe shouldn't be using immersive tricks? Like is, there, is there a show that is better off just in the kind of the old school way or is there, ever, is there an element where, you know, any live performance could benefit from this kind of more, I don't know, almost like visually cued audio, if you will. Yeah, I mean, is Soundscape for everywhere? Yes, we'd like to think of it as it could be everywhere. But um, does, um, I'm just looking out my window here, I can see a little church spire down the way. Does that little church over there benefit from a Soundscape system? Well, potentially with a single speaker above the preacher's head, I, I can do the same thing wherever the the guy is is giving his his preach from in that church i could potentially with one speaker reinforce his sound in a way that the audience linked it to him and it i wouldn't class it as an immersive system design um uh, but i would say we're still connecting the audio and the visual together if it's done right do you think the term immersive is maybe slightly problematic i i, I honestly i don't think i know what the word is yet i should be using um uh, immersive surround sound where in DMB terms 180 360 um, there's there's so many terms that I think we do um, we get tongue-tied very quickly as to what is the right word uh, we should, should be using um, and again I go back to the the example of come from away uh, the West End show uh, it's in Broadway as well in various places um, uh, I sat there and watched that show and then there was no surround sound speakers of any kind it was all speakers on the front and I felt 100% immersed in the storytelling of what was going on. So 
I don't need surround sound speakers to be immersed. I just need to be lost in the storytelling. Would be my view. Mm. Um, and in this, you know, time when we've got a lot of like engineers now, you know, stuck in home, basically, are you seeing a lot of people that are kind of doing their own little mini setups in their living rooms to kind of like get, you know, get to the grips of soundscape? Or is that have you heard anything <laughs> like that going on? Yeah, yeah, we've uh, in the UK at the moment. I could, um, if I was allowed to, I, I could tell you of various mix engineers at the moment have got soundscape systems in their studios and they're, they're mixing away doing stuff with music. And, and instead of mixing at home onto some kind of 5.1 or left right system, they're mixing into soundscape and understanding what that means for them and how that changes their world. Um, I, I mean, another interesting bit of for me, I enjoy looking at and quizzing the desk manufacturers is. Um, how does a desk change with immersive audio? This usual desk layout that we have, there isn't really a desk right now that is set up to do exactly what immersive audio needs in some ways, because they're still set up on this channels to buses to a main bus scenario, whereas kind of needs something different now. Um, and so the future, I think, looks very different. Desks look different, sound, system look, sound systems look different, how we interact with them looks different. And what we're inherently trying to do, we're moving from this engineering to creative storytelling. Um, so it all looks different. Um, and yeah, I think people at home, there's, there's, I know my guys and various people, uh, we're just playing with it and trying to take the time while we've got some time to yeah, play and yeah. see what we can come up with. Yeah, I mean, it's just the one small benefits, I suppose, for everything that's going on. We do have a bit of time to kind of like collect all the data and kind of work yeah. out where we can go through next, you know? Yeah, in some ways, there's no excuse when whenever we come out of this time, there's no excuse that we can't say, oh, I never had time to play with that thing or read that thing or understand it. We've all got more time than we ever had, unfortunately, but we yeah. should try our best to to use it as well as we can so that when we come out of this, we can deliver the greatest shows we've ever delivered, hopefully. Well, look forward to that one. All right, Steve, thanks very much for your time. That's all right. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much, Steve, and thank you very much for DMB for providing all the various kind of B-roll bits from all the various shows. And thank you very much for watching uh, or listening, because this is also available uh, on Spotify as well. Um, hope you enjoyed that. This is obviously our first attempt at TPI Talks uh, Digital, and we're hopefully going to be improving it as more and more. And we'd love getting your feedback. And you know, if you're listening out there and you maybe want to get involved in a similar topic or even something from video lighting whatever you're thinking really we just love to hear from you um but between now and then in the next episode um you can find all our information via social media via instagram by twitter by facebook if you go to um tpi magazine you can also see our latest digital edition that came out last week um yeah thank you very very much and uh yes i guess we'll see you again soon stay safe out there cheers <laughs>